Hello and welcome to another edition of Eight More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn. It's Thursday, September 10th, and my guest today is Kentucky State Representative, former U.S. Senate candidate, founder of Hood to the Holler, and I think it's fair to say national political leader now, Charles Booker. Charles, thanks for taking the time and being on the show with us. Man, oh goodness. Now that was a lot. This is a pleasure to be with you. I'm just re I'm just reading your CV, man. So it's nothing that should surprise you. And um, you know, in, fa in fact, before we sort of get started, and there's a lot to cover in in a short amount of time that we have here today, I did just wanted to take a moment to to personally thank you uh, um, on behalf of myself and a lot of my constituents, not just for uh, having the courage and the tenacity to take on, uh, we'll just call them the entrenched interests. Um, and advocating for policies like universal health care and a renewable energy future for everybody in this country, but for running a real human and special campaign and, and above and beyond that for meeting a moment in history that uh, I don't sure anybody anticipated with, um, with the kind of leadership and dignity and thoughtfulness that I think has helped us get through it and is going to help us get through it. So I know there's a lot of people in, in my area that would like to express those same thoughts and I do it on their behalf as well. Wow, man. Well, I, you know, I just want to say that I'm just grateful to be a, a part of this movement and it is indeed a movement. You know, there's a shift that's happening uh, where people are demanding more and ra rising up together and I'm just one of them. And, and I'm just, I'm blown away by it. You know, when even when you read some of the things that I'm doing, all I can think about is, you know, I'm just a young guy from 35th and Market, man, from the hood that yeah. just loves my city. I, I and, and I want the best for all of us. And to have the chance to do my part is something I just can't put to words. So um, thank you for the love. And, and I, I got to give it right back to you and to all of our, our neighbors all across the Commonwealth, um, everyone that's listening to this, um, I do this because I love y'all. And so thank you for lifting it up, man. Well, you sort of touched on it and, and you've been involved at different levels of government and politics, you know, locally. Um, obviously you're a current state office holder, you're running for federal office and have been very vocal about national <laughs> politics. Just sort of today as you wake up though, and I know you've been leading a busy life, just sort of what's on, what's on your mind? What's at the front of your mind today? You know, what's top of mind for me is keeping everybody healthy. Um, you know, of course we are in the throes of racial tension unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime. It really takes me back to the stories my granddad would tell me about the civil rights movement and even before that and you know so that is like a constant but you know thinking about a couple of my colleagues representative Attica Scott, Senator mm -hmm. Gerald Neal who uh, tested positive for COVID-19 and you know having lost the uncle um, a couple months ago to the coronavirus um, you know I'm just constantly thinking about how do we keep all of our loved ones safe and I'm a type 1 diabetic and, and you know, I'm in the middle of a whole lot of um, moving pieces and energy and a lot of people that are demanding leadership. And I want to be, a, I want to honor that. And so that's, that's top of mind for me today is that we got a lot of work to do and how do we 
how do we encourage our leaders, you know, of course, at the local and state level and at the federal level to be mindful of the health and humanity of everyone so we can get through this pandemic. So I'm mm -hmm. just really weighed down with that today. Well, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, it seems like at least here in Louisville, and I don't know how it is in other cities, but obviously the, the coronavirus pandemic and um, the civil rights movement that is happening now are sort of, um, you know, parallel tracks that I guess, depending on where you are, occupy most of people's headspace. And obviously Louisville is sort of one of the locusts, one of the main focal points here in the civil rights movement that's happening uh, in the aftermath of the killing of Breonna Taylor. And I know one of the things that's on a lot of people's mind, there was news yesterday that perhaps the attorney general had referred her case to a grand jury to decide whether to bring indictments uh, to the officers involved. And I guess they haven't, he has not confirmed that, but in one way or the other, the attorney general or someone will be making some prosecutorial decisions soon. And I know there are a lot of hopes and expectations and anxieties from everybody that lives here in Louisville uh, about what that decision will mean in terms of justice for Breonna Taylor and her family, in terms of uh, this city in the immediate aftermath and, and in the long term, you know, whether this is going to be a triumph of justice that we can celebrate or that people can celebrate however they feel about the issue, or, you know, there's people that are afraid that there will be violence and that, you know, um, from, the, from the very top on down, people want to see chaos in the streets and want to see people divided. How, how are you how do you see this moment that we're sort of waiting for here in Louisville, um, you know, yeah. in, in order to decide how we move forward? Yeah, well, you know, I've, I've said this um, throughout the year and certainly, you know, in, when I was campaigning across Kentucky that we're in one of those moments that you read about, you know, where you can see the arc that Dr. King spoke about. You can see it and you can see people pulling on it to try to make things change. And, you know, I've, I've said that we're making history, her story, their story, our story in real time, like right now. And, um, you know, we're facing a lot of pain and a lot of trauma, a lot of frustration that has gone back for generations. And the question, uh, better yet, the opportunity before us is, do we seize this as a time to come together and to chart a new course that is rooted in equity, that is rooted in true justice, that is rooted in um, the, the conviction to end poverty, to uproot racism, to push for system level change that means we actually have public safety um, mm -hmm. and not just, not just the notion of black and brown bodies being criminalized, low income communities being criminalized. Um, can we do that? And, you know, for those that are concerned about you know, violence and chaos, I want to encourage them to see the potential for us to rise out of this better and stronger, because to me, that far outweighs the likelihood of us taking this moment and falling further behind. And the reason I feel confident in that is that as you go outside and you go to what is now being called Injustice Square, and you talk to people all over the city, there is a heightened sense of awareness. There is a sense of resolve. People are showing up in ways that they've never done before. There are people that are organizing now that have never done it before. And it's creating this opportunity for us to build new coalitions. Mm -hmm. and, and if we seize that, 
we're going to be stronger as a city. We will be better as a city. And I just know what we're made of, man. I, I said on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, I spoke at the, uh, the celebration of the March on Washington. I said, we're built for the moment. We're built for this moment. And, and we are. And, and I believe that we're going to be better on the other side of it. But it's hard. And I know it. I think one of the real challenges is, um, and you talked about coming together and, um, you know, which is so important. And I believe firmly that that is going to happen. I, I feel that we're at a moment in history where change is going to come. I think the sort of troublesome part is that we're trying to come together and we're already a divided nation and it's, we're going to continue to get more divided between now and election day and probably for, you know, multiple months after election day. It's just inevitable. That's kind of what, what's happening. You know, the country is literally sorting itself to make a big decision of which, which way we're going to go. So this trick of trying to come together as we're literally still reaching the outward edges of how divided we are is what makes the challenge, um, you know, that much more difficult and I guess that much more important. Do you mm -hmm. see... Do you see part of um, the progress that we can make in the interim period between now and November, obviously participating in the presidential election in ways, um, not just to encourage participation and empower people, things that we've been wanting to do for a long time, but in a way that fundamentally sets the stage for what comes next? And if so, are we doing that? Or what does that look like? You know, I, I think an important point that you raised in the reality of this moment is we gotta, we have to embrace and understand just how hard this work is. And as hopeful as I am, I'm very clear that this will not be easy, you know? And um, there are a lot of pressures um, for us to collectively, you know, sort of turn our back on this moment to move forward and, and to find our way back to a status quo that essentially allowed for Brianna's door to be kicked in to begin with. And, mm -hmm. you know, that that's not going to be an easy task, but, but we're, we're ready for it. And, and I believe that we're doing that work now, you know, in, in the midst of a lot of pain in Louisville, you know, I'm proud of um, the people of our city that are showing up and, and speaking out and demanding leadership and leading themselves. And, you know, to see the the council, which I, I commend you for your work there as well, and, you know, pushing on yourself and trying to be more accountable to the people and, you know, for the council to respond by unanimously passing the, the ban on no-knock warrants was a direct testament to what happens when the people rise together and lift their voices on an issue, when they mm -hmm. essentially, when the the citizenry becomes their own lobbyists, you know, and begin to say, okay, not only are we frustrated, but we're going to, we're going to raise hell. We're going to show up. We're going to organize. We're going to be consistent and we're going to push for changes in policy to meet our goals. I, I mean, that type of response is powerful because right. if, if we can build on that and create a culture where more people are involved in, the political process, not just voting, but, you know, engage at, in the, at the local level, engage at the state level, and, and even running for office themselves, 
pursuing boards and commissions, if we can do that, you know, we, we're going to build a whole new coalition of leaders. And, you know, I just believe there's more of us, uh, you know, there's, there's more of us that know how powerful love is than those that, you know, succumb to hate and, and choose to divide, you know, and it's real and it's there every day. But I just believe that together we're stronger than it. And, you know, I, what I'm seeing in our city gives me hope that we're going to come on, on the other side of this better. And around the country, too. I think you're right. And I mean, you know, change is not something that always happens. Rarely in history does something happen where it's symbolic and communicates a real change to people in an instant. And most of the hard work we do as legislators and policymakers is a, a grind. And whether it's the city of Louisville passing no-knock warrant ban, and then that spreading out to the rest of the state and the rest of the country, whether it's cities across the country who have voted to change how they budget for their police departments or otherwise pursue police reform, including here in Louisville, where, you know, there is real work being made to uh, remake the police department in terms of personnel, in terms of civilian review board, inspector general and policy, that kind of stuff is happening. So you're right. I, it's, um, I think that is something that some of those changes are maybe not getting enough attention in this sort of period between between now and the election. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, I watched the Breonna Taylor uh, documentary that the New York Times produced last week, and, and you were in it. And uh, we're talking about policy, and I made a couple of notes. You were talking specifically in terms of, you know, um, not in, in the immediate term, but also for the long term, reimagining the police, which is something that I've thought a lot about and written about and um, am still working on here in Louisville. And you also mentioned, you know, rethinking our approach to development, which is something that I know you've been interested in for a long time, dating back to, you know, your work here with everyone from the Louisville Independent, Independent Business Alliance to the food port to, you know, just the work that you've done in, in the Metro Council as you worked on staff here. Mm -hmm. As we think about either or both sort of reimagining police or reimagining de development, did you have anything particular in mind or anything that, uh, it doesn't have to be a policy, it could be a vision of what that looks like that has captivated you as you really sort of crystallize your thinking around those things? Yeah, I, uh, you know, it was really, um, this is the one thing that I've spoken about pretty much every day all this year. Um, you know, that and then structural racism are, are the things that I talk about essentially every day. And, you know, I think we have the opportunity as, uh, you know, so many are rightfully saying, okay, things need to change with, with law enforcement uh, we need to reimagine what policing means. You know, I've taken it a step further and saying, in this conversation, we need to reimagine public safety. And in fact, we need to fully invest in public safety. And when you think about that from a holistic sense of, you know, the built environment, uh, all the social determinants of health, um, the fact that, again, you know, we, we criminalize poverty. And Kentucky is one of the poorest states in the country. And, you know, I'm, I am talking to you now from what has for years been the poorest zip code in the state. And by mm -hmm. doing the deeper work that comes before an incident of criminal nature happens um, is the chance we have now. And, you know, be honest, it is what really excites me uh, most about 
the conversation around universal basic income. And, you know, there's a lot of different policies I could tease out with you, but we don't have a lot of sure. time in this one. I would definitely come back. But uh, universal basic income for me, you know, I, I've been pushing for this for years. I wanted to see a pilot in the city of Louisville. I've, you know, been connected to folks like Mayor Tubbs in Stockton, uh, a young leader there that has piloted a uh, UBI program. And, you know, for me, it's really a, a conversation about how do we get to the heart of so many of the challenges that allow, you know, the problems to persist. And, and, and you just can't get around poverty and equity and structural right. racism. You can't, you can't get around them. And so how do we start to get to the core? And some of that is how do we directly invest in people? You know, because we're going to come together as leaders. And I know you all are already doing it now. And we've done it over the years of what program can we do? What can we implement um, that can help folks? And I think as we do those things, we have to push harder to say, how do we directly ensure that people have the financial freedom and have, you know, the ability to make decisions in their lives and to chart their course? Um, and how do we put trust and investment in people, understanding that the return we'll get is so much more than what we could ever put into and get out of a corporation or a development in and of itself. And so you know, I, this is something Dr. King spoke about with the guaranteed annual income. It's, you know, the question of how do we honor the humanity of people beyond an hourly wage, and especially during this pandemic when the bottom is falling out and a lot of people mm -hmm. are losing their jobs. How do we, how do we do more than have a net that catches you after you've already plummeted? You know, how do we, how do we give you a launch pad? And I and I think we got to have, you know, bigger and bolder conversations like that. Um, while let me, we talk about public safety. Yeah, let me, let me interject there because, you know, we know how to do it, whether it's universal basic income or whether it's any other kind of policy or program from violence interruption and restorative justice and public health initiatives, you know, cities and states and policymakers, my observation is that we know how to do it. We know how to invest. We know affordable housing is important. We know mental health counseling is important. We don't budget proportionally to what we need at all. You know, we, right. we, we sprinkle, we, we, we invest just enough for it to fail, frankly, which sort of then gives people reason to doubt it. And so, yeah. you know, one of my, I, I guess I just think that we have to radically rethink our budgets first and foremost. Yes. I mean, that's, that's obviously the ultimate sort of policy document here. And that really is a matter of politics because to radically redo your budget, there's going to be, you know, quote unquote, quantitative kind of winners and losers you know you can't spend you can't sort of just do things the same way and you mentioned that you live in one of the poorest zip codes in Kentucky you have a really interesting shaped legislative district that really takes in all the great waterfront property in the city of Louisville Kentucky but yeah. it stretches from um is it Portland on the west or what's the westernmost uh, yeah yes yeah, well Shawnee oh you, so you get part Shawnee, of Shawnee right. East all the yeah, way to Mockingbird yeah. Valley and in Indian Hills, some of the wealthiest yeah. zip codes. And, yeah. you know, unless those zip codes are getting to talk to each other and learn about each other, and understand each other, it seems to me that there can't possibly be some agreement on how to radically rethink our budget to implement some of these policies that will lift up everyone and make everyone 
whether you live in Mockingbird Valley or Shawnee or Portland, that'll make everybody safer and healthier and happier. Um, How do you facilitate those conversations? Is it just by being a political leader who tries to bring people together as sort of a core value like you're doing with hood to the holler, you know, not, I mean, just the organization, but with the approach that you took that said, you know, people have so much more in common than, than they don't, whether you live in Appalachia or whether you live in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. You you just, you just, how do you, how do you do it? I mean, you know, it's, it's certainly a lot of that, you know, it, 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 a lot of it is showing up and actually having the, the courage, the audacity and the willing to be consistent in telling the story. You know, so much of the challenges we face are perpetuated because we are able to silo them, shelve them, or compartmentalize them in ways that, you know, if they don't touch us, they're not urgent to us. Right. And, you know, that's why when, when we would shout out from the hood to the holler, you know, it was really about a declaration of saying that we're not going to allow for people to be invisible anymore. We're, we're gonna elevate the voices of folks in the forgotten places, in marginalized communities, folks that feel like they've been drowned out by the political status quo or, or don't feel represented um, in, in the governments, uh, in the places where decisions are made. And, and you know, that, that encapsulates a whole lot, the majority of Kentuckians. Because even if you're not weighed down by poverty directly, you know what it means to you in some form. And, and if you didn't know, we have to tell that story. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's another reason why I'm so excited because when you see people that are demonstrating and raising their voice for Breonna Taylor, it ain't just black people. It ain't just people from the West End. You know, it's people from all over, all over Kentucky, man, all over the country. And the world. It gives, all over the world, man. And, and it gives us a chance to realize you know some of these truths that some other communities some others have been able to conveniently sort of look away from and if we can do that now we got a new coalition that can help advocate for the changes because you're right i mean we know the work to do like we know what needs to be done it's not like we need to have another focus group or a commission to figure out how to uplift these communities that have been weighed down we know the work it's just we have not collectively, you know, at least in my lifetime, and certainly, you know, my, my parents and grandparents would say in theirs too, yeah. we haven't been able to collectively show the political will to do things differently. But we want that, things. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, that we want things to change, or at least we say it. And, and I just believe that now we're at one of those points where we can really stand up to the words we've been talking about and, and, and finally make some change. Can you tell me, you know, we're, we're, we're getting close. Tell, can you tell me a little bit about Hood to the Holler, though? I don't, is it a political organization? What ex- I know you're sort of just getting organized, but it, rem- well, go ahead and tell me about it, and then I'll ask you. Yeah. So, so Hood to the Holler is, a, is a, a C4, and, you know, our aim is to, in many ways, catalyze the momentum, the energy, and the excitement that was lifted up in my run for U.S. Senate that we realized was always bigger than any one particular race. You know, we were inspiring people to get involved in the political process that had never done it before. 
encouraging people to vote that never thought it mattered. And we have to lean into that because we need that type of infrastructure in Louisville, across Kentucky, across the country. We need to create platforms and spaces where more people can get involved. They can be trained as relational organizers so they can leverage their collective power, their personal power, and then get the supports to pursue leadership. And that's where Hood to the Holler is stepping in to fill a void. We're engaging those forgotten places. And we're doing working on trainings for citizen lobbyists. So people in, that are protesting in the streets can have the supports and resources and capacities to then take that energy to Frankfurt and help me and Rep Scott and several others pass the ban for no-knock warrants. Um, mm -hmm. Also training folks to pursue boards, commissions, and run for office. And the big thing about it is creating thought space, collaborative coalition building space around ending poverty. That's the storytelling part where we can lift up the true um, challenges and dynamics across Kentucky from the hoods and hollers and everywhere in between so that we can start to shift our discourse, which ultimately is, I'm calling it a new Southern strategy, man. It, if we can approach issues that have once been wedges and see mm -hmm. them from a place of commonality and see you know, the, the threads within them that will allow urban and rural communities to fight together so that Louisville isn't just pushing for legislation in Frankfurt, the rest of the state sees the value in pushing with us as well. If we do that, we can dramatically change the political landscape, but more importantly, we can dramatically change the policies that will mean that poverty will not be handed down to my daughters and your little ones. And, and we gotta seize that. And so I'm really proud um, to found this organization and I'm honored to call it Hood to the Holler, uh, you know, because I've, I've been told from people across Kentucky, thank you for letting people know that we exist. And mm -hmm. we're lighting that spark, man. So I would urge people to get connected with us. It's hoodtotheholler.org. Um, we're actually doing a big voter registration push this month now, engaging 50,000 Kentuckians, particularly formerly incarcerated uh, individuals who had a felony, they got the rights restored with that executive order because disenfranchisement connects to poverty. So, you know, let's join together and do this work. And, and I'm proud, proud to lead it. Yeah, it, it also reminds me, I don't know that their organizations are similar or not, but I've been part of an organization called um, the Kentucky Rural Urban Exchange Project. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. I have. Um, yeah, it's a great project. And, you know, it literally connects people that live in different parts of the state to spend time in each other's communities to get to know each other to learn each other not just sort of advocate for the same political goals but to really start to understand each other as human beings which it seems so simple to say is still so much of our problem in this city and segregated cities like ours and divided countries like ours but um um you know we'll I know people will be watching Hood to the Holler, and I'd encourage them to go to the website and check it out and see how else how else they can help. Um, Charles, we're, I want to make sure I can get you. Tell, can you tell people what what why your schedule's tight today? What you're going to go do next after this? Or yeah, what you so will actually, uh, yeah. By the time they hear this, this is what you will have done on Thursday, I guess. Yeah. So, so I have a full a full day. Um, actually, I'll make some news with you. Uh, so. I am going to join a press conference um, for a, a steering committee for the Biden campaign. Um, it's sportsmen and women Biden. 
And I was the director of Fish and Wildlife here in Kentucky. And I, I wanted to be a voice in making sure that equity is lifted up in these conversations and that mm-hmm. we can hold uh, Vice President Biden accountable should he become president. So, uh, so I'm actually going to, that's gonna be announced in like 30 minutes. So okay. breaking news here. Um, and then I'm, I'm doing the work of lifting up candidates across uh, Kentucky and across the country that are committed to structural change. And um, I'll be working with some candidates this evening, um, setting up some time for me to put my mask on and travel. Um, yeah. I'll be doing that across yeah. Kentucky. So got my hands full and, you know, we're, we got our big voter registration effort going now with uh, some schools across Kentucky, uh, churches across Kentucky. We're training folks up. So a lot of work to do, but I'm not to mention I'm, two I'm, little girls. Not, not to mention NTI, you know, <laughs> so, of which I was doing right before this. So, um, well, hands, hands more than full. Well, Charles, we're, you know, we, uh, I appreciate your time today. We'd love to, you know, I know both you and I are, uh, the clock's ticking on our current um, positions in office, but I hope we get to work together sometime again soon. I, I was looking at the map of your district and I noted, I think, you tell me if the lines are wrong. It's always hard to remember where the, where the very edges are. It looks like your district in Justice Squares on one side of the street, City Hall and the mayor's office is right on the other side and you're kind yep. of right in the middle. So I hope yep, you'll continue to be, right the middle. I hope you'll continue to be right down here and right in the middle. Uh, the city needs you now and, um, and for a long time. And if you continue to show up with tenacity like you have been, uh, we're all going to be in a better place for it. So good luck, Godspeed between now and uh, election day and after that. And um, we hope to talk to you again. Thank you, Councilman. I appreciate it, brother. Charles Booker. Thanks for listening to Eight More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash D 8 And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our biweekly e-newsletter.